0: Hello Man fans, Olly Man here with The Modern Man. Here we are, episode 10, the climax of the season. We are going to be back in February after this, and that is thanks to everyone who's bought us a beer and supported the show. There are now, I'm pleased to say, too many beer money donors to name, Uh, but still not quite as many as we need. So if you do have money left over from Christmas, some of you have uh, prepaid credit cards you still need to spend with money burning your pocket, then uh, obviously do head to modernman.co.uk slash beer. Uh, You can give one beer a month or whatever you choose to support our show. Uh, Thanks. Now, talking of beer, if you're doing dry January at the moment, or a so-called detox... Uh, especially if you are a bit shit at keeping it up, then this week's show is going to provide solace for you. Uh, it is an interview with The Angry Chef, the blogger and writer. Uh, thank you to Peter, uh, who suggested him as a guest. She emailed, Ollie, I think the two of you would be really fun together. You both seem to not suffer fools and would have strong opinions On the clean eating world. Uh, Well, Peter, that is certainly what happened, uh, as you'll hear in our interview. I I wasn't entirely convinced that Anthony's admirable quest for robust scientific evidence about all food trends necessarily negates my anecdotal experiences about what does and doesn't agree with my body, Uh, but it was really an education in in just how cavalier some of the scientific claims made by food writers and the makers of so-called health foods can be. And certainly I'm now going to think twice before restocking up on coconut oil, as I think Will you? Uh, Before we get going, though, big thanks to this week's sponsor, Tenga. Now, if you haven't heard of them before, and I hadn't, they are a sex toy company. No surprises for guessing who put us in touch. Uh, And they specialize in toys for men. Uh, Believe it or not, they've sold 57 million products across 45 countries. And their latest is called the Flip Zero EV. It is their first electronic masturbator for men. Welcome to 2018, everyone. Uh, it's basically uh, an elastomer tube that pulses and vibrates, and it comes with some lube, and it's got very discreet packaging, and actually some seriously cool design. It's all gloss white, curved edges. It's a bit like you're fucking the Starship Enterprise. Anyway, they sent me a sample, and I found it. Uh, Very refreshing So if you're looking for something new to stick your dick into Or your boyfriend's dick You can use it as a couple of course Then head to Tenga-Global.com And thanks again to them Uh, Right, in this week's show uh, You will learn what Ollie P sounds like Channeling his inner Al Gore You'll learn if blueberries really are antioxidant And you'll learn producer Matt's top tips On how to make your very own podcast Just don't get too good at it please Uh, Right Let's go. On this week's Modern Man. If they want to induce cardiovascular disease in rats, they feed them coconut oil. Superfoods, detox diets and fat-burning fats. The truth about clean eating.
1: It's not uncommon for people to want to seek a similar relationship so that they can do things differently.
0: And Alex Fox has advice for when man seeks trans. But first, it's all the trends you need to know about for the year ahead with a man who never gets his predictions wrong. It's Ollie Pitt with the Zeitgeist. That's right. Shall I remind you, because this is an annual tradition on the show now, Mm -hmm. shall I remind you what you predicted would be the big trends of 2017? Let's see how you did. You said uh, 2017 would be the year of flared trousers and velvet.
2: What are you wearing? Okay, (laughs) no.
0: You said... Amazon Echo and Google Home will become much more prominent. You are absolutely right on that one, aren't course, you? Of course I'm right. Like my mum's got an Alexa speaker now.
2: Well, it is easy to use. I think that's why people... And I like the idea that you can just go, Oi, order me some chips. That's never in the ad, is it? No, but that would be good, wouldn't it? It's if you breezy could just breezy
0: Silicon Valley style with some plinky plonky music in the background.
2: Oi, chips! Well, I think that's the next step, isn't it? That you don't have to say, hey, Google, or hey, Alexa. You can just go... Just chips.
0: It just know, well, it'll know just what know. you want before you've even said it out loud. You said that disappearing ink tattoos would be a thing.
2: I mean, you probably did have one, exactly. and it's disappeared.
0: How do you know I didn't put one on this morning? Exactly. You so I was be prob- sure. I was right. And you said something about exobytes and something about robotic chef arms.
2: Yeah, okay. So that might have been pushing it a bit, but in all fairness to me, I think with the ro- robotic chef arms, I said that that's something that will probably just be a bit further into the future.
0: Having established your credentials very firmly, what are your predictions for 2018?
2: Food mindfulness. This one's a simple one. It's basically a trend towards considering your food more. I think we already do that anyway, but I think it's going to be something that is going to grow in 2018. What do you mean
0: considering it more? So
2: where your food comes from, but also the supplier of that food and their brand values and how they operate as a business. So it's not so much as whether it's uh, grown organically but it's also how they look after their staff and how they treat the land that they farm on, all all these kinds of things. What we'll see is snacks that give back. So this kind of already exists in certain forms. You buy some water and they'll be like, oh, we'll give 10p to a charity or whatever. Yeah, it's the Tom's model, isn't it? Yeah. But there's also vegetarian vacations as well. These are people that are caring about and wanting to invest time in considering where their food comes from and how they eat.
0: What I'm interested in is how that's journeyed from being a middle-class thing to being something that maybe is of interest to more people. Because if your main sensitive is is price, that's still the issue, isn't it? You know, lots of people that are queuing up for a coffee in Greggs might genuinely care whether or not it's fair trade, but they also want a coffee for ATP. That's the problem.
2: Yeah, that'll happen too.
0: This'll be the year. Yes. What else
2: have you got? Silver hair. It's hair that has a metallic shimmer to it.
0: Yeah, women have been rocking this for about three years now, haven't
2: they? Not like everywhere. 2018 is going to be the year of this, Ollie. I'm coming to you with the trends of the future. Oh, I thought you were going to say
0: this is the year that men take it up, but you're actually saying women wearing metallic silver hair. That has been happening for a while.
2: The prediction is based on the way that makeup trends have gone. And it's more sort of like metallic shimmers in makeup. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that then your hair will reflect that facial configuration. Does that sound bullshitty it's enough? Well,
0: it's good news for people who want to be cast as Rusty in Starlight Express. I don't know what it means for everyone else. What else have you got?
2: So, quick list around phones. This is stuff that's going to happen in the mobile phone world. Yeah. You're going to get better biometric security.
0: But you wonder what else they can do, because the iPhone 10 that is that is pretty good, isn't it? It does recognise your face.
2: Well, it does, but it's going to get No, but better. it really
0: does. I thought it was going to be bullshit, like the Samsung one, but it actually works.
2: Well, it's just going to get better.
0: Yeah, well, okay. But how? <laughs> What's coming? What else is coming?
2: No, this is just a prediction. I don't know how. I'm no, but not what in the... else?
0: You're not going to lick it and it will say, oh, yeah, it's you. I mean, it's already recognises your face.
2: I bet there's someone listening going, oh, actually, we are experimenting with spitting on your phone and it opening it up. <laughs> that could work.
0: Do you mean that the kind of biometrics you can only get on premium smartphones is going to be on cheaper smartphones as well?
2: It will just become more prevalent. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, and it no, become that will become better be. and more secure. Mm. There are ways that you can cheat around the iPhone tens face recognition like using a photo for example has but that happened apparently so also better augmented reality where's that going so you'll probably see brands using it a lot more and games so there's at the moment there's uh, google have launched star wars stickers where you can basically put yourself in the world of star wars by just basically filming and there's the star trooper there and a darth vader there so they're going to get more intricate and better
0: yeah that thing that you do which seems to be only a trend that you do so i, I don't think it's gone mainstream yet but where instead of sending an emoji of a thumbs up, you send a picture of you doing a thumbs up. emojis. That is a thing, isn't it? And there are apps now, like some popular apps in the top 50, where you can make your own emojis of yourself. Yeah. But I feel like this is going to be the year that one of the big phone manufacturers puts that as a default. Like on your keyboard.
2: Yeah, I don't think we're far off that. And also that Bitmoji, you can load it into, I can't remember which exact camera it is, but you load it in there and it creates a, an augmented reality version of yourself doing different things. Yeah. So it's got one of you like stuck in a car in traffic and you just point it on your kitchen table and it looks like you're on your kitchen table. See, stuck it in it car-
0: sounds ridiculous, but I've had that thing where black people now are sending me emojis of black thumbs up rather than yellow thumbs up. People are obviously, they, they are going to say, that you, you would get emojis with beards on. Hmm. That, that level of personalization
2: is coming. Yeah, I don't think it's ridiculous at all. What else have you got, phone-wise? So although phones are getting bigger, you're also going to have a second, very tiny phone. What, like a- it's probably about three to four centimeters high. Oh, okay. And it's maybe a couple of centimeters wide. It's tight, it's literally tight. You hold it up to your head, it, it looks ridiculous. But when you think about, I don't know, if you if you go out jogging. and you just want a tiny little phone or you're going out for a night out and you can't be bothered with your big phone, it's actually quite a good idea. So can it
0: text or is it just a phone? Yeah, it
2: can text. God knows how. Yeah, Like, (laughs) you managed to do it, but yeah, you can text and make calls and it functions as a normal mobile phone.
0: So second phone's for people that aren't having affairs or are drug dealers. Exactly. Okay, yeah, I'm prepared to go with you on that one.
2: And lastly, my final trend for 2018 is more earthquakes. Oh, dark. The Earth's rotation is slowing ever so slightly. And that leads to more earthquakes. 50% more, to be precise.
0: See, I don't know if what you're saying is well backed up by scientific research or if you're just being like a flat earther. I mean, you're saying it with absolute passion and belief.
2: No, there are very serious studies that back this up. And there is historical data that proves that that happens. So in a, in a period where the Earth's rotation slows ever so slightly, you can expect between 25 to 30 major earthquakes not little ones these are proper major life-threatening earthquakes and at any other time the average figure is around 15 so it's a lot more
0: so is it is it people that are at risk that already know that they are risk from from earthquakes people in india and california and stuff people on tectonic plates
2: yes exactly it's not going to be in it's other locations in yeah. it's it's, it's okay. on the major fault lines yeah
0: Oh, okay, grim.
2: I know, but I thought I'd end up No, with worst yeah,
0: chuck in some light and shade. Why not? Why not? Right, time briefly just to recap on where we are on your latest listener challenge. Manfan Edwin challenged you to try out Halo Sport, which is a new neuro-priming training product. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so how far have you got with that? Are you now master of uh, cycling or whatever?
2: No, because it's going to take a lot longer to sort out
0: Remind us what it is.
2: Right. They look like a pair of headphones. Yeah. You put them on your head and they've got these little sort of like rubber points that make contact with your scalp and it fires electrical pulses into a part of your brain, which puts it into a state of plasticity, is what they say. Okay. And it means that when you perform a task like running or weightlifting or playing the piano, your neurons need less energy to fire... So you're, you perform that task better and you become better at it. Okay, but you haven't tried it yet. No, I Why? haven't tried it yet because it's an $800 device. So the guys that made it would just want to make sure that I'm doing it properly and I give it a, a fair test.
0: Because it does sound a bit like bollocks, doesn't it? It does. Okay, it really but does. I do want to give it a fair test as well. Yeah, so do I. So what's a fair test? So you're going to, what, try doing a task for a bit, then try it with the headphones on and see if you improve? Exactly. And they want to make sure that you're wearing them properly?
2: Yeah, so i decided I'm going to do two Is it doing?
0: Firing neutrons into your brain?
2: No. Where did you even get that from? I'm close, aren't I? It's firing electrical pulses yeah. into your brain. Okay, <laughs> okay. not that far off. <laughs> I mean it's quite far off. But I'm gonna I'm gonna test it in, in, in two ways. Uh one is I'm gonna test my typing speed and then I'm gonna start basically doing this neuro priming before I, I type, which takes twenty minutes, and then I'm gonna type and over the course of the next few weeks until we go into the next series, yeah, I'm gonna see if my typing speed and accuracy improves. Okay,
0: but do you use typing apps generally? No. Because we want to make sure that your typing wouldn't have improved anyway. Like, are you a good typer?
2: I'm quite a do- I'm good typer, so I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm going to do it without doing it for, for a bit, and then I'm going to start wearing it and see if it improves. Genuinely so I want type to feel whether day. you've accelerated your skill. Okay. Yes, yeah, exactly that. So I'm okay. going to test my words per minute and all that kind of stuff and my spelling. And what's the other one? And the other one I'm going to do is endurance. So I'm basically going to start running, and I'm going to see if my running improves. Now, your running should improve anyway. But I kind of have a good idea of my own personal fitness. So I'm going to see if it improves faster than I would imagine it would normally.
0: Yeah, it is January, though. I mean, you know, again, personal fitness doesn't really start lower than it does at New Year, does it?
2: Yeah, that's true. But I think it's a good testing time, isn't it?
0: Okay, so it's actually come at quite a good time, this challenge, because you've got the, what is it, six weeks we're away Mm -hmm. to actually properly road test this and then come back and tell us how it's gone and or, do you have brain cancer? So I'm looking forward to finding
2: out. Yeah, no, I'm a little bit scared about that that bit. Yeah,
0: no, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure they wouldn't release it onto the public if it wasn't fine. Yeah. Don't know, we'll find out. Uh, it's been a pleasure spending this series with you, Ollie. Uh, if you have an idea for a future trend that Ollie should try out, then head to with 2 and click on feedback. <laughs>
3: Hello, Man Fans. My name is Matt Hill. I produce The Modern Man, as well as a few other podcasts. And these are my top three Squarespace life hacks for how to make an award-winning, long-running podcast. Tip number one is make it easy on yourself. Whether it's going to be part of your job or a hobby in your spare time, format the show in such a way that you'll still enjoy making it 50 episodes in. You could find a recording location that's convenient for everyone, like in the office or uh, a nearby pub. You might also find it easier to divide the show into sections. That way you might be able to share the workload between you and your colleagues. The trick is to keep it fun for everyone and not a burden for any particular one person. Tip number two is engage your listener's mind's eye. If you were writing a sitcom, the perceived wisdom is that there should be a joke on every page of your script, so every 30 seconds or so. Now, the best podcasts, in my opinion, prompts a different picture in your listener's head every minute. So whether that's a comedy or drama or documentary, as you listen back to the recording you've made, think about what pictures are being formed in your mind's eye as you hear it. And let that shape the edit. Okay, my final tip is, most importantly, get that edit right. Uh, Now, some people hate editing, and if that's you, my advice would be to find someone who does like it. Very few people can get away without cutting a recording down, and I can guarantee you're probably not one of them. And listening back and deciding what needs cutting is a good way to learn what works when you're preparing the next show. There's a free piece of software called Audacity, which uh, is not the easiest to use, but once you've mastered that, you could use any of the professional programmes out there. So those are my life hacks. For more tips and to hear the other shows that I make,
2: head to rethinkaudio.com. Thanks to Matt for sharing his Squarespace life hacks. Every podcast needs a website. That's why we at The Modern Man use Squarespace, Squarespace builds websites in your browser. It's easy to use drag-and-drop tools mean that you can have a website up in under an hour. Head to squarespace.com now for your free trial. And if you like what you see, use the offer code MAN, that's at the checkout for 10% off. So, support this podcast and get money off. Just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code MAN.
0: Now, have you tried to lose weight recently? If so, chances are, whatever diet you were on, uh, Atkins, 5'2", Hunter-Gatherer, you've basically been cutting back on bread and beer. Uh, You may have even given up gluten entirely without really understanding, let's be honest, what gluten actually is. Uh, And you may well have smugly stocked up your store cupboard with superfoods. But what are they? And is there any scientific basis for doing that? In the face of a gazillion internet nutritionists, Anthony Warner is on a mission to expose the truth.
4: I mean, there's a difference between a, a dietitian. Very important distinction, actually. The difference between a, a dietitian, a registered dietitian, has a, a dietetics degree and is registered with the Healthcare Professions Council and is actually, you know, so it's a protected title. So not you can't just say, oh, I'm a, I can't put a door, name on your door say, oh, I'm a dietitian today, you know. But with nutritionists, yeah, there is no protection of that title, so I, you know, we could all call ourselves a nutritionist, and we can all open for consultation. Is tomorrow. that right? There are qualified nutritionists, and there are people who are registered with the Association for Nutrition in this country, and they they have certain um, guidelines like how they have to be qualified and um, how they practice. But the title of a nutritionist is not protected at all. So a lot of people who are qualified nutritionists could just be someone who've done a, a one week course on online. Um, I think just the way our access to information has changed recently. Just There's so much information out there. Now we have Instagram, we have so many different people throwing information at us
0: um, and many of those are completely unqualified. You're talking about people like Ella What's-Her-Face, who (laughs) uh, has the Instagram account and wrote the Deliciously Ella cookbook. You're talking about people like even Fern Cotton's got a cookbook, hasn't she, which is all about avoiding certain foods and using natural ingredients. I mean, my wife has Fern Cotton's cookbook, she likes it. She is interested in that stuff because the food looks tasty first and foremost and she thinks okay a smoothie with grapefruit and kale in it that probably is good for you and it looks like it's something i'd like to cook she's not too bothered in truth about any scientific claims that are made in the blurb around it
4: Look, i've got no issue with any or any recipe M- my view on food is eat loads of different things you know enjoy as many different foods as possible and so if, they, if you're Want grapefruit and kale smoothie? That sounds delightful. But if, if I that's just my, made that up. You <laughs> no, know I, know, I, know. I did, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm hoping you did. Um, if, if that's something you want to try, then then that's great, and, and they should try all these recipes. And if a recipe, yeah, let's, let's say you want to make in, a cake
0: that doesn't have butter in it, and you want to do that because you think it's healthier. Okay, I mean it is better for you probably isn 't it? It depends what the substitute is. Does it matter that in the blurb around it they say something about you know oxygenated fats
4: yeah, it absolutely does matter because I think the reason why if you 're going to exclude something you need to from your diet and you 're going to replace it with something else. you need to do that for a good reason you I know mean, a good reason is just I want to try something different. I want to try a cake made with a different fat that that i mean that 's absolutely fine um when you dress that up with not just the science, a lot of the rhetoric that these people use, I, I worry that it starts to put people into a damaged and broken relationship with what they're eating. This idea that certain foods are clean and certain foods are... are well, they don't say this explicitly, but the, the implication is that certain foods are dirty and mm. unclean. We have this tendency to kind of... Um, for essentialism, so we want to... We believe we are what we eat. We're obviously not what we eat because... You know, vegans are made of meat, obviously. We're not what we eat, but we kind of... That makes sense to us in, in, in a very instinctive way. Um, and so if you're saying this food is clean um, because it's something that I believe is is good. So if you're saying ah, coconut oil is clean, you know, because that's a clean mm-hmm. food. I'm not quite sure why that qualifies as a clean food. But if you look around the internet, apparently that's, that's a clean food. And some other vegetable oil is, is somehow dirty then you're sort of saying I eat this so I am clean and, and people who eat this other stuff that they are dirty and they are unclean and that's re- it's a really damaging and slightly insidious message that can really get into people's heads that, that, that this sort of idea of purity and virtue attaching virtue and purity to food is very powerful motivator to make people make certain decisions about food that can really be
0: very very dangerous okay psychologically dangerous maybe physically Is it dangerous? If you're excluding I mean if if I if I said right, I cucumber diet, I'm gonna eat only raw cucumber for two weeks, is that physically dangerous, really? yes (laughs) yes <laughs> why what am I missing it's a massively deficient diet I mean you
4: wouldn't be having any well, just cucumber you wouldn't be having well, any I don't know. Okay. In I'm, I'm inventing you know, you would, a fad diet you would cucumber
0: have and hummus and, uh, and protein yeah. chicken cooked chicken hummus and cucumber there you are it's the Ollie Man diet if I just had that <laughs> for two weeks it's, I get what you're saying it's emotionally dangerous but is it actually because dangerous is a strong word I'm not going to die from doing that
4: Two weeks, no. I, I don't know. I, there would be a lot of things you're not getting and without analyzing the diet properly, I'm not sure, but there'd be a lot of stuff you would not be getting in your diet. And restrictive diets are ge- generally not very healthy. There's a lot of reasons not to restrict your diet for, for a number of reasons, both physically because there will be stuff, there'll be micronutrients you're not, you're not getting. There'll be, if you're really restricting fat like that, then there'll be sort of certain fats you're not getting which, which you know, you, you're not going to do well without. And you're basically isolating yourself from a lot of social interaction by really restricting what you eat in that way. And we really, really underestimate how important that is for our health and for our well-being, how important that lack of social
0: interaction is. I mean, that's arguably one of the reasons religions do it, isn't it? You know, Hindus are vegetarian, Jews keep kosher, Muslims are halal. It means it's harder to mix with other people that aren't of those faiths.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and there's so much. You know, I talk about the clean and dirty associations. Mm. You know, that's so tied into to how, how religions talk about um, certain foods and restricting certain foods. Mm. But they, they don't have anything like the res- dietary restriction that, that um, this sort of uh, dietary cults have.
0: Uh, what are the scientific claims that really
4: wind you up when you see them? I get very wound well up about coconut oil. I'm perfectly happy if, if someone wants to eat. Coconut, I don't understand why anyone does, but I'm perfectly happy if someone wants
0: to eat coconut I cook curries in coconut oil because they taste a bit coconutty, that's why.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I find if it... I, you get, yeah, curries are fine. Any health claims connected to coconut oil just have no basis in fact. You know, really? It, it's it's 90% saturated fat you know, as opposed to butter, which is about 60% saturated fat. There's, there's very good quality evidence um, that we should probably be trying to Trying to cut down a little of our saturated fat and, and replace it with sort of unsaturated fats, and that's the basis of dietary advice pretty much worldwide. So, if you
0: were cooking in an oil that had unsaturated fats, what would you be cooking with? Well, like vegetable oils or you know olive oil or, or so. You know, the cheap ones, the, the ones che- in the supermarket. The
4: cheap ones, yes. Yeah, so, the and, and there's a lot, you know there's a, there's so much. Um, if you look at all these trends, it's all about fighting. You know, the, the cheap options are always the ones that are rejected and the ones that are deemed as unclean. The ones that are freely available. There's a guy guy I know who's um, a nutrition professor and he he said coconut oil is is pretty much the worst thing you can put in your body. And if they want to induce cardiovascular disease in rats in the laboratory, they feed them coconut oil. (laughs) But the, the health claims attached to it have sort of grown... Pretty much, out of it. it's quite complicated, but it's a, it's a misunderstanding of, of the classification of fats. And, and people think it's a Explain you, that to us. If you okay, can, I, in one minute, to, explain okay. how so, people misunderstand um, th- it. There is, there is some evidence that medium-change fatty acids can make you burn some more calories. That, that claim it does have some evidence underlying it, but what happens with coconut oil is, is obviously it's a mixture of all sorts of different length fats. Within coconut oil, there's one which is called lauric acid, which is a a certain length, and some people classify that as a medium chain, and some people classify that as a long chain.
0: Yeah, that's complicated. That is complicated. That's not something you're going to see on Gwyneth Paltrow's website. No, no. And And that's why, isn't it? It's that level of nuance. But but that's why people misunderstand it, is it is too complicated. Yes. So, So the myth is easier to understand, and it tastes good, so yeah
4: just look on a pack of coconut oil um on on something for sale in the supermarket does it say it's a fat burning fat does it does it Mm. have all the claims that the people are making for it on the Mm. front of pack because if you could legally make those claims Mm. the people selling coconut oil would 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 have them plastered all over the front of the packet but they can't legally make those claims because there's no scientific basis for them so the claims instead get made by people on the internet okay what else gluten-free i i find there there's a a good proportion, 1%, one percent, I think, of the population have celiac disease. So mm. you know, they, they really shouldn't eat any gluten. Now, that, that's interesting because that's a real... That's a dietary restriction which has really good evidence for it and is definite. And that really appeals to us. <laughs> Don't eat that. It will cause you harm. That's a, people find that really a, an appealing message in some ways. Mm. So it, it appears to me that a number of people see that and they hear, they read about how harmful the gluten is And the damage it causes, and they kind of adopt that as something almost something they want in their lives because that there's probably another sort of 1% of people who have uh, non celiac gluten sensitivities or have a less serious reaction to eating gluten. Okay, Um, but we're not talking about them. So for the 98%, for the 98%, gluten does you absolutely no harm at all. Um, But if you look at the statistics in this country, probably. Well, okay, talk about something like um, millennials. Um, then about 15% of people are avoiding gluten. And the people who are more educated and people who are more, from more affluent backgrounds, more and more, you know, the, the numbers get,
0: get even higher than that. Because it's become a real... I know if you go to Prezzo now, they've got a gluten-free menu of pizzas. I and mean, that's obviously cut through. That's a mainstream yeah, restaurant uh, chain. Uh, uh, 20% of the people are obviously ordering yeah, them. I think pizza
4: Express is a gluten-free one as well. You know, yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a massive <laughs> trend and it's a growing trend. And it's become, you know, I, I, it's become adopted by the food factory industry and by the food retail industry you know that they have these big things and, and, and gluten-free has become synonymous with something that's healthier yes okay which is which, which for what that two percent of the population yes
0: but for the majority of people no but just be clear it is a healthier choice if you go to pret at lunch and instead of having the chicken and bacon sandwich you have the hummus salad that is a healthier choice isn't it i mean it's still got fat in it it's still got calories in it probably still got salt in it but actually just you know in any analysis that's better for you
4: better for you what in in bread i mean bread's
0: not an unhealthy thing i mean you know bread but it's the uh, butter it's the mayonnaise it's the ingredients between the bread and the bread yeah, i mean i don't know i don't know the nutritional feel,
4: breakdown of that salad but you know that's got fat in it i know that and if and, i eat more bread i
0: feel sluggish and fatter and if i eat less bread i feel healthier <laughs> i know that <laughs>
4: Well, it depends what you're replacing the bread
0: with. You know, well that's what I mean. If a, I have any, a salad instead I'll feel better.
4: You've had a salad instead you'll feel better?
0: Mm. In a different way to if I have a full <laughs> English breakfast I'll feel fantastic, but I I, I won't yeah. feel light and, you know, ready to go.
4: Yeah, I think you'll feel virtuous. I don't I don't know, you know, bread's not unhealthy. Bread, there's nothing unhealthy about eating bread. You know, wheat has yeah, you know, has a lot of protein in it. It's actually the biggest source of protein in, in, in human diets across the world. It's got lots of B vitamins in um, whole grain wheat is probably our best source of dietary fiber, which is something none of us eat enough of. I don't really understand why people consider it to be unhealthy. You know, but carbohydrate, there's nothing wrong with
0: it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm saying it's how it makes you feel. I do feel, if I have toast for breakfast, yeah. I feel a lot heavier than if I have, you know, a banana. I just do. Is that because you physically are heavier? Or is that because know.
4: psychologically you're like oh, I've been a bit more virtuous and I've been a bit of a better person because bread's
0: been demonised and everyone tells me it's bad? Maybe a bit of both. <laughs> but again, it's about what you put on the bread, isn't it? When I yeah. used to have toast for breakfast every day, I'd have three slices and smother them in butter and peanut butter. That's obviously yeah. not as good for you as the banana, so...
4: Yeah, and it's kind of what I was saying. You know, when, people, when people adopt a gluten-free diet, they, they will dramatically change what they eat, and the way they eat, and everything. And so it's not just like, oh, I'm eating less bread, so and I, I've lost weight, so bread must be making me... It's like I'm not having the same spread on it, I'm not having the same butter, I'm not having all these things that go with it. And so when you dramatically change your diet, you temporarily lose weight, but it is temporary. <laughs> you know, And people are saying, oh, it must be good for me. But that, that weight loss is temporary. It doesn't necessarily mean you're healthier, because... You will often be pushing yourself into diets that are higher in fat and higher in saturated fat, and there's no reason to... Actually, if you analyse gluten-free diets, or you analyse people who are on gluten-free and what they eat and people who are not eating gluten-free and what they eat, there's a lot of danger of dietary deficiencies, like a lack of fibre and a lack of a lot of micronutrients within the gluten-free diet. So to say it's healthier because I lost a couple of pounds uh, I think is, is a flawed understanding. But we have this association that weight loss is a proxy for
0: health okay it's january new year's resolutions detox (laughs) talk to me about detox Detox. okay Um, a lot of people listening to this are going to be thinking i am doing a detox this month i'm going to cut loads of stuff out for my benefit let's exclude people who might genuinely be alcoholics or something (laughs) for everyone else what's the benefit of doing a detox I would say none, <laughs> okay,
4: so detox what a detox it means detoxification so it means removing toxins from your body, which presumably is what people are thinking they're doing if they are going on a detox diet there is i mean absolutely no evidence that, that that's going to be going on detox is a thing if you're if you're poisoned yourself or if you're an alcoholic you abuse substances in some way or you've taken in something which is to- toxic you go to hospital and you, they, they do a detox treatment on you mm. but that's not changing your diet and drinking a, a kale smoothie that is um you know a serious medical procedure toxins are removed from our body by our livers and our kidneys they, they do a perfectly good job of removing toxins we don't need any help from any food um, there's no evidence that any food can actually help in removing toxins if you're thinking that you're removing toxins from your body then then you're wrong and i, I suspect and is that, that maybe what people mean I mean, when I'm they say sure detox, mean, they say why? it's
0: it's a slang for. A slang I'm not for... going to drink this month, so that, and that again doesn't that just in common sense have to be better for me than drinking? I'm not going to drink as much. That's got to be better for me they're not actually thinking they're detoxifying their body or do you think they are yeah, but well i think some people do i think some people do think that when you read um a lot
4: of the things written about it they will actually say you are removing toxins from your body with no basis for that claim at all because there is no food that removes toxins from your body it's just, it just absolutely makes utterly no sense I've than stopping drinking alcohol for a month yeah, yeah, alcohol is pretty toxic, <laughs> unfortunately. But if you're saying I'm cutting foods out because I'm detoxing, then are you saying those foods are toxic? Are you saying that? whatever it is your bread or whatever is toxic you know because I think if you're creating that association that those foods you're cutting out are toxic I think that's a dangerous association to be making and I think that is a path towards a disordered relationship with food because when you go back to eating if you have a chocolate bar
0: every day on your way from one meeting to another and then you say this month I'm not going to have that chocolate bar that's my new year's resolution because it'd be better for me not to have it are you saying that's a bad idea I think it's a bad idea to say that Chocolate bar is toxic.
4: Yeah, for most people, yeah, for me, for you, it might be fine. But for some people who have a tendency towards a disordered relationship with food, if they create this association that that food they're eating is toxic, mm. then that is a really dangerous place for them to be going back to. Okay,
0: finally, blueberries. <laughs> Talk to me about blueberries. I quite like blueberries. I quite like blueberries. <laughs> yeah,
4: blueberries are nice. Well, um, <laughs> I have no problem with them. I
0: would say to the point where it's actually become interchangeable people will use the word antioxidant with blueberries (laughs) i i don't think i've seen the word blueberries written anywhere apart from on the packet itself without the words antioxidant next to it on the internet for a decade now no is that bollocks what does
4: it mean it's it's unfortunate it's it's unfortunate because i think we could just eat them because they're nice but then eat loads of other different stuff too because that's nice rather than sort of um fetishizing one particular ingredient i think that 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 really troubles me when people do that when i first studied biochemistry um antioxidants were quite big news um we were looking at antioxidants in diets and, and actually if you look at people's diets generally around the world the ones who have good health outcomes tend to be people who eat lots of Antioxidants-rich foods. So people were thinking maybe there's this this link between between antioxidants and and health. Food. Okay, so it is a real thing. Antioxidants are a real thing. And yeah. what does it mean? Basically, you have the, have things oxidative stress in the body, which is caused by a number of different things can cause a lot by smoking it could be caused actually you get a lot of oxidative stress when you exercise and it produces these things called um these free free radicals okay and they're, they 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 buzz around your cells and they can cause quite a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. The antioxidants come in and they latch onto the free radicals and they sort of take them out out of harm 's way okay so they stop them causing damage so there's a lot of thought when I was studying biochemistry that these if we had lots increased antioxidants then we would prevent lots of disease because free radical damage can cause um, mutations in your dna and can cause cancer and so this this was quite a big thing of study back in you know um, early early 90s but then then obviously you have this association with diets but you know that's just kind of high in fruit and vegetable diets generally we had this potential mechanism for why why that might help and why that might eating lots of antioxidants might be a good thing but then when you try and study it actually there's very little association at all and, and when you start giving people antioxidant supplements which not so big in this country but in america is like a massive massive industry and so many people are taking antioxidant supplements you actually start to see a lot more complexity going on and actually some pretty negative health health outcomes you know it, there was a there was a particular trial in Finland of um, cancer patients and they gave them, in combined with their, their normal treatment, they gave them antioxidant supplements in quite high doses. They had to stop the trial because more people taking the antioxidants were dying than the people not taking it. And what, what it turns out is that actually antioxidants and free radicals is quite a complex relationship, And um, whereas it was this great story that antioxidants come in and they snatch the free radicals and they take them out, and that, everyone could understand that. But w- there's a lot of nuance to it, and free radicals actually have a lot of positive effects. They actually have a role in our immune system, and it, also high doses, they can have different effects. And actually, I said it's not a class of substances. It's actually a, a, a property that substances have. So at certain high doses, some antioxidants can start causing free radical damage if you have too much of them so it's kind of like you have to have a bit of balance don't worry about it too much
0: so blueberries are a good thing to eat but the superfoods label is problematic
4: yeah yeah absolutely and I, as I said if, if you're eating it because you enjoy it and you want a lot of variety in your diet which I, I
0: do I like blueberries yeah um, but the, a lot of people are choosing blueberries over apples because they think well they're antioxidizing. so I have to, if I'm going to have some fruit now <laughs> I'll have some blueberries is that a legitimate choice or not? no no
4: not at all because you'd be better off there's so much evidence that the more varied your diet is especially in terms of fruit and vegetables it's good to have a good quantity of them but it's also really important to have a, a, a huge variety of them that will be better for you so eat apples one day blueberries the next day you know, and, and make lots of diff- as much stuff as, different stuff as you enjoy and have a good relationship with food rather than thinking of food as medicine because food is not medicine <laughs> you really can't well, it's quite a troubling association to be saying food is medicine and food is
0: something we take. You know, food is so much more than that. Anthony Warner. His website is angry chef.com uh, and his book, also called The Angry Chef, is out now and it is excellent. Uh, Alex Fox is up next after this. Now, if your New Year's resolution is to have better sex, then here's a lady who hopefully will be able to help. It's Alex Fox with the foxhole.
1: Happy New Year.
0: Uh, What have you got going on in your world at the moment?
1: I have been talking about the pubic health of England with Public Health England. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they've just done a massive piece of research and and released one of their biggest campaigns in in yonks uh, because, unfortunately, over half of sexually active young people have had sex with a new partner without using a condom. Uh, And they've also discovered that rates of STI diagnoses in 15 to 24-year-olds are twice as high in men and seven times as high in women versus their counterparts aged 25 to 59.
0: Why do we think that's happening then? Because it's not as if the safe sex message has become harder to access over the last 30 years.
1: I think part of the problem is that we've done a little bit too good a job in telling young people that if they suspect they may have may have uh, got an STI or if they've had unprotected sex, then they can toddle on down to their GUM clinic or see their GP and get treatment. Uh, when in truth... Um, there are still many STIs which stay with you for your life and we're seeing an increase in the number of uh, infections which are becoming resistant to antibiotics and causing issues.
0: Okay, uh, time for our listener question, which has ever is sponsored by our friends at mycondom.com, an excellent place to go if you do finally decide that you want to start using condoms.
1: And a particularly excellent place to go at this time of year because they've got their January sales on. Way. I mean, yeah, so prices were already brilliant value and now they are more brilliant than a 1000 watt bulb
0: Here's this week's question Uh, It's from someone who's chosen to remain anonymous who says Dear Alex, I love my husband and I'm sure he loves me We do have a loving sexual relationship but in truth his sexual interests are more towards trans women Now, you might actually just have to define that for us, Alex, so that we're all on the same page.
1: This is a woman who was assigned male at birth, so would have been born with what are traditionally considered male genitalia, but actually identify as strongly as being a woman. They very much feel they are a woman. They might still have a penis or or they may not. They may have had surgery. Uh, trans bodies don't all look the same. But the common factor here is that trans women very much feel that they are women. In fact, they are women.
0: Our letter continues. When he was in his early 30s many years ago, my husband did date a trans woman but dumped her out of insecurity. We're both now in our mid-40s, and I think he's more secure in himself. I am open to having an open relationship and for him to find love with a trans woman. So is there a trans Tinder or social society that we could join? I honestly feel this would be best for all of us, even if sadly it meant eventually my husband might leave.
1: Wowza. Yeah. Okay, my first point here would be that I would encourage our letter writer to regroup with her husband and actually talk in depth about how he really feels, how they both feel, what he truly wants. Um, because although in this letter it sounds like she's very clear on what she believes would be his desire long term... I receive letters and messages from so many people who have stewed over things like this, come to conclusions on their own, in their own minds, and who are utterly convinced that they know the wishes of their partner when actually this big conversation hasn't been had. and We've, they- we've had
0: examples before where someone's... Jump to a conclusion because their partner's interested in a particular fetish or fantasy or, or porn. Watch
1: porn, yeah.
0: And that actually might just be the right outlet for them. Yeah. They might not want to live like that. That He might be quite happy doing just that.
1: Precisely. So first, first port of call here sit down, have a long, in-depth, honest conversation with each other about what the truth of the matter is here because you're talking about, potentially, the end of your marriage, which is a, this is a huge thing. Uh, a lot of the undertakings which are being posited in this letter are enormous. They have enormous repercussions for everybody involved. So just check in, have a chat.
0: I mean, when she says, I am open to having an open relationship, I mean, that's such a big commitment that it doesn't seem like the kind of thing you should just sort of consider. You've got to be up for it, right?
1: You also need to talk about what an open relationship would look like for you two as a couple specifically because there's lots of different ways of having open relationships. There are lots of different approaches. Everything that's being talked about in this letter needs to be talked about more between the the, so far two people involved. And on that note as well, I just want to draw attention to the fact that this letter really only details the wishes of her husband at no point does our anonymous writer say well I've thought about what I want yes. um, she only says that sadly this might mean that her husband might leave her, the fact that she's saying that they have a great sexual relationship that they adore each other, that they've been together for so many years, this to me seems like, a, it, it, it seems like there might be a really unhealthy propensity here for her not to think about her own needs and her own desires and how those might be met and they are just as important as making sure that her husband's sexual wants are fulfilled.
0: Okay, just to cut through all the different variables though let's assume and I know this is an assumption let's assume that when she says he's interested in trans women actually what he's interested in is a pre-operative because that would tend to be why most people that are into trans women who aren't trans themselves are into trans women let's say it's a pre-operative to someone who has in other words identifies as a woman but still has a penis let's say that that's what she thinks he's into and she's right she can't provide that because she doesn't have a penis if that's the case and they went to therapy about it, and he was open about having an open relationship, and so was she, (laughs) then what can they do? There's
1: a lot of what ifs here. But but even if
0: everything she says is right, then what? I mean, let's answer her question directly.
1: First up, Ollie. Though just a little note on this term pre-operative, which is often shortened to pre-op. Lots of transsexual people don't really like that because you can be a transsexual person, you can be a trans woman, and choose never to have an operation in your life. Okay, so what and is the politically correct
0: term for someone who has a penis but identifies as a woman? Then it's
1: very politically difficult. It's a real stumbling block trying to politely uh, and acceptably uh describe these scenarios so yeah it is a little bit clumsy but maybe just saying a trans woman who's who has a penis
0: okay let's say that he's interested in a trans women has a penis then well, what
1: well i did speak to several trans people and several trans women about this uh and lots of them agreed with you in fact i spoke to my friend Alyssa black uh, who does a lot of trans activism helping people to understand um trans issues and she said the same as you Without wishing to jump to conclusions, I strongly suspect that the type of person that this man is interested in is a trans woman who hasn't had lower surgery. And she continues, I've seen far too many trans women get used by guys who are looking to explore their bisexual side. So what they really want to do is play with somebody who has a penis, but who presents in a feminine enough manner that it makes makes playing with someone with, with testicles and a penis feel less gay to them or less buy, if you will, and she says she's seen far too many trans women get used by guys looking to explore this side of them, and it's really unhealthy for the trans person themselves. They're being a bit used there. It's detrimental to them. In trans porn, you do see a lot of, and I, I must say this is an offensive term to many, but it's also terminology which is used a lot within porn to categorise this type of material. You see a lot of Chicks with dicks porn, and there are a lot of men who are unclear or maybe exploring their own sexual identity, maybe their own even their their own gender identity, who feel drawn to that kind of pornography, and who want to experiment that way in real life, but it really doesn't take into account in a lot of cases the feelings and the needs of the trans person that they're experimenting but with. But
3: then,
0: you know, maybe that's why she said, is there a Tinder equivalent? Because, I mean, what she's saying is, you know, I I want him to engage in this in a consensual way. I don't want him to use someone. I want, I want him to be having a relationship with someone who wants to have a relationship with him because they know that he finds them attractive. So does that place exist?
1: There are various services where you can meet somebody who is a trans person. It's really important to be clear on whether what you want is, in fact, a relationship, which is the terminology that's used in this letter, or an experimental hookup. Mm. Uh, It's also really important to be clear on whether you actually want an open, ongoing, open relationship, something like polyamory, where you might continue to see someone for a long time, or whether it might be more appropriate to go swinging for a weekend or or have a one-off sexual experience. None of these things are necessarily wrong so long as you are clear about them with everybody involved. So long as everybody involved is clear on what's on the table. What you don't want is a scenario where a trans woman believes that she's about to enter into what could potentially be a loving long-term relationship when in fact all the husband is after here is a one-night fling where he gets to experiment and explore his own sexuality and gender and then that person is cast aside. That is likely to make that person feel used, it's likely to make them feel objectified and it could be really, really damaging to their identity. Once all of these very, very complicated matters have been untangled though, at base level, if you want to find somebody who is a trans woman to enter into some form of uh, sexual experience with, then Plenty of Fish might be a good place to go. There's an online dating service which offers lots and lots of different ways for you to identify your own gender. There's also a place called mytranssexualdate.com. Here we go. And what makes this different is that the team behind it are all transgender women. Uh, there's a big emphasis as well here on Transgender women who want to find relationships with cisgendered men. That is, uh, men who are born with penises and who identify fully as guys so that might be a really good place if they're sincere if the husband is sincere about meeting someone for a long-term relationship who's a trans woman and if our letter writer decides that this really is the best thing for her too
0: and then the other interesting thing about this email and there
1: are so many interesting (laughs) things here i mean we really could we could waffle on for ages about this it's fascinating
0: is this business about he once had a former love who was a trans woman yes what does that tell us i
1: have lots of thoughts about that because it did occur her to me sometimes when people have a relationship earlier in their life that finishes in a way that they don't feel proud of and the fact that the letter writer here refers to her husband now feeling more confident in himself Mm. and that he finished this relationship out of a sense of shame Mm. he might feel really really bad that he wronged that person potentially earlier in his life and it's not uncommon for people to want to seek a similar relationship so that they can do things differently on almost exercise the ghosts of that previous mistake they feel they, they they made and whilst that might make them feel better that they can then give themselves this tangible physical evidence that they are now a better character a more complete human being that they're able to have an open loving relationship or, or great sexual experience with a trans woman that might be fabulous for them But using a trans person in order to work through that trauma yourself is still using them Mm. and still may have very detrimental effects on that person. I spoke to a pal who happens to be a trans man and he said to me, for a cis person... To actively seek out someone who's not cisgendered, to actively seek out a trans person, to me smacks of fetishism. It's massively painful to think that being trans either makes you desirable or not desirable. My personal experience of being a trans man is that the trans bit is a reference to a series of long and challenging procedures both medical, surgical and administrative, that I've had to pass through in order to correct something that was hugely bad for my well-being. And if someone finds that attractive, that really doesn't sit well with me.
0: Sure. And I, I totally understand that. And you've got to be sensitive to that. On the other hand, you know, we talk about, you know, people with all different sexual predilections on this show. And if it was someone saying, my husband really fancies tall women... Um, and we assume that the tall women were opting into a service where they were there to be dated, then, I mean, that is a conversation between adults, isn't it?
1: Some people actively enjoy being fetishized. Exactly. Yeah. They love being praised and, and adored in that way. But to frame it a different way, if this letter writer had said... My husband really fancies black women and I'd love him to find a black woman to be with. He Where can we ha- go on a site where my where my husband can specifically find a black person? Okay, I but think we might all find sure. that quite offensive.
2: Yes. It's a
1: except, really-
0: except if an app existed called Black Women Seeking White Men. Which it probably does. If I'm a black woman and I really specifically fancy white men, then that's the point, isn't it? Then it's different.
1: There is sometimes a fine line between a fetish being positive for everybody involved and it actually being quite a negative and potentially offensive thing. The key idea here is that everybody involved must know what they're getting involved in and it must be good for them all in order to be a positive overall experience i don't think that this couple are anywhere near that stage yet and i would urge them to speak to each other and potentially speak to a therapist too
0: if you have a question for alex about your particular sexual predilections or your husband's what do you need to do with it
1: <laughs> you need to scurry on over to our website which is uk and click feedback
0: and thanks again for the whole series worth of sponsorship to our friends at mycondom.com.
1: Yes, thank you for sponsoring my hole. And if you use the code foxhole, as ever, you get 15% off your whole order.
0: And with that, we have reached the end of this series of The Modern Man. But I do just have time to anoint a new man ambassador. It's Jack, who says, Ollie, you are the saviour of my long journeys to and from work. I drive 203 miles each way. I'm in the military, and I was recommended to the show by my corporal, Wayne. Thank you, Wayne. Military ambassadorships are available. Uh, if there's a vacancy, says Jack, I would very much like to become ambassador for Glasgow. Uh, thank you, Jack. It is yours. Congratulations. I now pronounce you ambassador for Glasgow. Uh, music now, and our theme is by Django Django. They're on a UK tour this spring. Go see them. And our record of the week to kickstart 2018 is by new artist... Azusa. The track is called Shiver, and it's out now on Fiction Records. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you in February.
2: All the attention, ripping your senseless. When they're for you, when it first starts, you're unprotected. You wait for the mark like a cold trick. I reach for you 'cause my hands feel through your fingertips. And I'm calling for you, but she, she,
3: she, oh you'll never get my.